Hello and welcome to the Daily Zen Podcast. Uh, my name is Charlie Ambler, creator of the Daily Zen. This is this week's regular episode of the podcast. There's a premium episode that I release each week alongside a premium essay at patreon.com slash daily zen. And that's for anyone who's interested enough to subscribe and contribute um, a small monthly contribution. And that helps me spend time working on this and all that. So uh, to everyone who's signed up already, I thank you. And to everyone else who's maybe never listened before or has been a fan and didn't know we had a podcast, uh, welcome. Today, like usual, I'm going to answer some or discuss some topics that were suggested on Twitter. And let me get those. Um, a few people asked where the podcast lives, and the answer to that is that it's both on iTunes if you just search Daily Zen. And it's also on SoundCloud. Um, SoundCloud.com slash Charlie-Ambler. The, what should we discuss? Uh, Okay, this one's good. The differences and similarities between worrying and planning, which is an interesting sort of comparison that I'd never really thought about before, but um, that's a good way to sort of rope in a bunch of different topics about attachment and how we should approach the flow of time, basically. Um, I think there's sort of a degree of healthy detachment that we can have to future events that allows us to plan without really trying to conform whatever events do occur to fit that plan too carefully. So, you know, a simple example would be um, you're planning a vacation and you're really excited to go on vacation and you want to fit as much exciting stuff into your vacation as you can. And so you plan meticulously (laughs) every day of the vacation, you know, trying to pack as much fun as you possibly can into this itinerary that you plan beforehand. And then you get to the island or whatever, and you're so inundated by trying to get from point A to point B on time and trying to make it to all the various things that you're trying to do and all that that you sort of forget that you're actually on vacation. It sort of just becomes a a mirror of all the normal anxieties you already have about your life. So I think, you know, viewing it from the point of view of the the little examples of how we do that, people who fall in love, when they first fall in love, they get so excited about the, you know, kind of getting to know a new person on an intimate level. And they build up all these ideas about that person in their head and all these expectations of how happy they're going to make them and how they're going to do this and they're going to do that and things are going to go just like this. But, you know, there's no way to isolate your life into a vacuum um, to sort of fit the ideas that you have about how you want things to go. Because when we're stuck too much in this sort of mode of here's what I want to happen and I hope it happens like this, that's a very limited mode of operating. And that's sort of one of the things we see in meditation when we see the thoughts come and go and we see how flighty and how flaky and how petty and how unreliable they are. 
you can sort of recognize that your own interpretation of how you want your life to be and how you want things to go is usually not how it's going to happen. And so the more rigidly you define those expectations and those standards, the more difficult it's going to be for you to adapt when things inevitably don't go the way you expect. And that's not to say that we shouldn't plan. It's not to say that we shouldn't have hopes and dreams and ambitions and expectations. It's good to hold yourself to a certain standard and to hold other people to a certain standard and to sort of um, agree to participate in what others have called the social contract, so to speak, where you're sort of you're given the gift of life or existing in society or the opportunity for friendship or the opportunity to do what you want and the freedom to do what you want. And so in exchange, you should sort of give that your respect and not try too forcefully to mold the world to fit your whims and fancies. The best way to do that is to investigate what those whims and fancies are to get to the bottom of your motivations for having them and to sort of understand yourself as a, uh, a solitary perceiving figure that's sort of, you have all these experiences, you have things you want, you have things you need, you have expectations, you have uh, presuppositions, and see yourself as that, as an actor in a world that isn't always going to be harmonious with those things. Those are very sort of linear, rigid, uh, rational things and the way that the world works is often completely random completely up to chance and alinear and chaotic uh, multi-dimensional you know whatever you want to say so I think the way to sort of divorce thinking about the future with anxiety about the future is to learn how to think about the future and entertain possibilities and maybe even hope for certain possibilities, but not to put too many of your eggs in one basket, not to bet too highly on any one outcome. Because chances are, if it's an outcome that you want, it's an outcome that the rest of the world might not necessarily be have even on, on its radar, you know? I mean, to expect anything to be handed to you is kind of this weird delusion that we have when we get too deeply entrenched in the ego and sort of see ourselves as the only person perceiving the world when you know what you want what your neighbor wants what their neighbor wants everything everyone's desires are so different that to pretend that the universe is going to conspire to give you what you want is kind of setting yourself up for this ultimate disappointment even if you do achieve what you're looking for um and the point, again, is not to not have those desires, but to understand the limitations of them and, you know, use your desires to sort of guide you along uh, the path that could most likely help them materialize, you know, if they're healthy and they're not distracting you from life, but not to obsess over them or assume that the world is kind of just going to make things happen. It's very easy to it's very easy to like adopt a framework of magical thinking and then when things don't go 
as they plan because you know there's no way for the universe to magically transpire what you want to kind of victimize yourself and say oh man i just down on my luck you know i just never get what i want blah 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 i've met people like that who they they sort of take a very passive role in their own lives um, but very actively fantasize about what they want and what they expect from other people and everything about what they're going to get and what they're going to get instead of what they're going to do, how they're going to make themselves sort of an active part of their own lives and how they're going to give back to others, all that. They sort of just think about like, what's going to come to me? I, the more I think, you know, if I think about it enough, this will come to me. But that's never the way that things work. So you know, those people end up disappointed and they blame, you know, because it's part of this cycle, they always blame someone else. But um, maybe sometimes the way to get out of that is to start by constructively, constructively taking responsibility, not blaming ourselves, but taking responsibility for the fact that our fantasies and our desires are not uh, the universe's whim to give us and that we should try to think about the future as the result of our own actions rather than some sort of glorious um, promised land that will just someday be better, you know, because if, if things aren't as you wish them to be right now, it's sort of representative of a mindset of, you know, lacking, kind of perceiving that there's a lacking in your life, um, which is its own type of greed you know, the sort of greed isn't just about being like wanting a billion dollars. It's kind of more about having what you have and knowing deep down that it's enough, but pretending that you really need so much more and that life is so difficult, you know, that things are so hard, that you, things really need to get better. You really need this much more. And that sort of creates this snowball of um, craving and chasing and, you know, the stuff that makes us exhausted and unhappy and energy that we could be better spending doing other things. So instead of that, we adopt the sort of the, <laughs> I hate when this, this always rhymes when I say it and I never think about it as a rhyme, but it sounds so corny, the attitude of gratitude, where instead of <laughs> approaching your life as if it's lacking in some way, you approach it as if it's full and, and you know, wonderful and contains a lot of the stuff that you, if you didn't have it, you would want it. Um, but when you know, when you're at point A and you and point B has what you want and then you get what you want and you get to point B, you're at point A again because you've trained your mind to sort of always be thinking about the point B. So, you know, if you're single and you want a family and then 10 years later you have a family and you don't appreciate your family because you're exhausted and you want, I don't know, a, a boat or like a second house or something, you're going to think about that instead of appreciating your family. Um, or you're going to overwork yourself and not give them the time they deserve from you, or you're going to be disrespectful to your spouse or, you know, whatever. There's a million different examples of how we become greedy in our lives. Um, you know, greed isn't something that happens and not isolated to, uh, <laughs> like people like to pretend that it's just politicians or business people or something that are the greedy ones in our society. But I know plenty of forward thinking, um, quote-unquote modest people who are always thirsting for something else. They always want, you know, this much more money. They always want this new thing. They always want their kids to achieve this much more, to go to this, you know, this better college, or things could always be different or better for them, you know. And when you always perceive your life as lacking, the future is always a worry because 
there's always the fear that you won't have enough, the fear that things won't match your expectations. But if you get rid of that fear and you sort of accept that things probably won't match your expectations and that's okay, um, you can accept what you do have and appreciate where you are at. Chances are it's not, it's not, you know, for most people, we're not, no one's in the gut or no one's in like a really abject scenario. So to be um, grateful is completely rational, completely sensical and solves a lot of the problems that we have with life uh, that we blame life on when in fact they are our own fault. Um, I've kind of, I've sort of come to that conclusion as a sort of a fusion of a Zen and a stoic approach, I think, where you don't want to be so detached as to be like loosey goosey and hippy dippy about everything because that's its own sort of egoism where you sort of by not expecting anything from the world, the world is kind of always just there to serve you and you don't ever really actively participate in it. And so you are sort of depriving your own life of your presence. But then, you know, people who are too stoic is it's like everything is about them acting and everything is about the ego and um, everything is about sort of putting yourself into the world. Um, but sort of a balance between those two where we can both retreat from the world and be, be content with what we have and where we are. And we can also take that sense of contentment with us when we go act and accomplish things. That sort of balance and walking that tightrope is what a lot of, I think, people who experience real satisfaction with life walk, whether they know it or not, just through observation of really successful, admirable people I've known in my own life and people that you, you know, reading a lot of biographies and um, sort of a different philosophers' conceptions of what the ideal man is, um, ideal woman, whatever, ideal person, uh, is a sort of walking the the balance between uh, playful and playful and curious detachment and honest and disciplined attachment, without being either lazy or desperate, you know, because if you, if you take either end of the spectrum to its extreme, it becomes harmful to you. So to sort of find a, a centrist approach to living where you're, um, just figuring out what that harmony is. And it's different, a little different for everyone, but generally speaking, approaching the future with, um, a sense of confidence, a sense of healthy detachment, a sense of gratitude, and um, a sense of like pre-existent abundance, like that you're not, you're not hoping for an abundant future, you're accepting that to a lot of people your present is abundant, and you have a lot, and there's no use in constantly thirsting for more, and worrying about what comes next, and planning too far ahead in accordance with those desires. Um, that's the other thing. To plan isn't isn't what causes us worry. Planning when our heads are in this space of wanting more than we should have or need, or when we're trying too rigidly to make the world fit our desires, that's when planning turns into worrying. So the key is to just figure out how to not let that, you know, don't let the scale tip too far in that direction. And if it does, just, you know, it's just, you, you can always come back 
that's the thing. You can always come back to yourself, to your life, to, you know, where you are right now. That's And that's enough. You know, chances are you're not starving in a cave because uh, you're at the you're on the internet and <laughs> you're listening to something about self-improvement so um or as i've started saying it's not about self-improvement it's about self-acceptance so instead of obsessing over making yourself better obsessing over making the future better obsessing over acquiring more and more and more in your life just be grateful for what you do have because it's really not that bad um and, and if it feels really bad and really hopeless, just that, that always never lasts as long as you think it's going to last. It might last a while, but it never lasts as long as you think. Um, the same way that the future never uh, comes about quite as rigidly as we anticipated to. It's always like, I mean, everyone knows that. You look back five years and you're surprised at the way things are going whether for better or for worse, I mean, that's enough. To, to look at the past is enough recognition that you can't expect too much uh, by way of rigidity from the future because there's really just no way to know exactly what's going to happen. But if you set yourself up for the, if you set the conditions for being able to flow like we talk, I talk about that Bruce Lee quote all the time where you're trying to flow like water, being flexible and being able to fit any vessel that you're put in. If you can do that, you're going to sort of give yourself the optimum chances for existing strongly and confidently in any future that you do experience because you'll have the skills that you need to do so. So, uh, I've been enjoying keeping these short and sweet. And since there's two episodes per week, I know that uh, I don't want to take too much of your time. So thanks for whoever asked that question. Ragnar Freyr uh, is his name from Reykjavik. Very cool. I love that I can communicate telepathically with people from different parts of the globe that I've never been but want to go to. And um, if you liked this, if you like what I do in general, I encourage you to uh, contribute to Daily Zen Premium, which is available at patreon.com slash daily zen. For $5 a month, you get access to an extra essay and an extra podcast episode each week and the ability to participate in longer discussions and ask questions, make comments, leave notes, whatever you want to do. Uh, the purpose of that is to sort of over time create a more in-depth community than exists on Twitter. And while I love the stuff that happens on Twitter, it's there's a lot of noise, so it's nice to have sort of the commitment of subscribers and being able to interact with people in that way is very encouraging and I think inspiring to not just me, but maybe other people who participate as well. So thank you for listening. I don't really have anything else to say. Daily Zen lives at twitter.com slash daily zen, so uh, you can find everything there. Thanks for listening. Bye.